Hallelujah. Now I'm teaching on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to focus on this aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, in fact, in a way it's almost a summary of the entire ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that is to establish you in righteousness. Now if the you is a you that is not born again, then it is to bring you into righteousness. And if the you is the you where you already born again, it is to get you to be established in righteousness. In other words, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to every person on this planet is first of all to bring them into righteousness through the new birth. And then secondly, as they are born again, to cause you to become established in righteousness. Now, there is an enemy out there. But when we go back, when we go back to Genesis, we see that from the very first verse, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now, God is awesome. Whatever God does is perfect. When God created the heaven and the earth, I believe it was absolutely perfect. And there was design, order, and beauty. But then we see in verse 2 that the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. We see chaos. What happened? Well, we, 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 from the study of the word of God, we know that the enemy was kicked out of heaven. And somehow when he was kicked out, some kind of catastrophic destruction took place. So that this wonderful, beautiful thing that God had created, the heaven and the earth, all of a sudden now there was disorder. There was, it was without form and void. Which, in a case, which is an indication of the destructive nature of the enemy. He wants to destroy. He wants to destroy anything that is beautiful. He wants to destroy the plan of God. He wants to destroy you and I. He wants to destroy homes. He wants to destroy our physical bodies. He is a destroyer. Amen. But Jesus has come that we might have life. God is a life giver. So, here is this total disorder, but then we also see that the, the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then with the, out of that disorder, there came order. The moving of the Spirit of God and the Word of God created divine order. And then God went another step further. And then God said in verse, in verse 26, He said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them, and God blessed them. God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. Now, we're talking about the Holy Spirit um, bringing men into righteousness and establishing us in righteousness. Now, let's just, let me just put a little bit of a definition or comprehension of a righteousness that we could refer to as we go through the study um, this morning. Righteousness, there are four aspects of righteousness that I believe are, are, are significant. Number one, it is... It is um, the oneness that we have with God. Number two, it is the authority we have that comes out with that oneness. Because here we are, we are the sons of God. Amen? And then number three, it is the rights and the privilege we have as sons of God. 
and as citizens of heaven there are rights that we have and then number four there is what we call right standing which is basically as if sin has never been well if sin has never been and, and, and there, there is no guilt there is no shame there is no insecurity there is no inferiority there is no condemnation Amen. So in the right standing aspect, there is none of these things. No condemnation, no sin, no insecurity, no inferiority, no guilt, but rather there is this oneness that we have with God. Amen. So that is the very essence of righteousness. Now, from the very beginning, from before the foundation of the world, the plan and the purpose of God was for us to be righteous. For us to be one with him. For us to have authority. To, for us to be as if sin has never been. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no inferiority, no insecurity. For us to have the rights and the privileges of the sons of God. So here, um, and of course they never want to disrupt that. But, so, but here we see in Genesis 1.26 that that very essence of the righteousness that God desires being expressed. The, the righteousness for us. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That there again, right there it's speaking about that oneness. Let them have dominion. There it speaks about the authority. And then of course we do know that it is as if sin, sin did not exist at that point, And therefore there was no knowledge of sin. And as a result, there was no guilt, no shame, no insecurity, no inferiority, or any other such thing. And God blessed them. They had rights and privileges. Are you with me? Can you just see? Can you see righteousness in there? Alright. So, from the very beginning, it was the will and the plan of God for us to be righteous. It was, it was, it, that was important. But then the fall came. And after the fall came, sin entered in, and by sin, death, and all the condemnation, and all the shame, and then, I mean, the, the devil became the god of this world, we lost our authority, and all of that. But Jesus went to the cross, did he not? We know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he was rich, for your sake and mine he became poor, that we might be made rich. He came to lift us up, so that by the resurrection, we are being born again to a living hope, the Bible says. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 that Jesus was made to be sin for us. So that we might be what? Made the righteousness of God in Christ. So in, in, in view of that Jesus said in John chapter 19 verse 30 when he was on the cross. He said it is finished. He was saying what was finished and what was going to be finished prophetically. And it is finished in that, in that the price has been paid. And because of the sacrifice, we are, we can be made righteous. Amen? It, it, say it is finished. So that when you are born again, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ, which God originally intended. Now the devil would like to hide that from us so that we don't come into that righteousness. So that we don't walk in it. So that we don't become established in it. And if you're not born again, that you might not even receive it. But you see, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to, is to make sure, is to get to every individual and to convict him of sin, righteousness, and judgment and bring him into righteousness. And as you and I are born again, for him to teach us, for we his children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be our peace, and in righteousness we shall be established. Amen? Isaiah 54 verse 13 and 16. So, but let's, 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 let's get, get a hold of this. This, this, let's make this connection. So here the plan of God is righteousness. The fall took place. Jesus came. He paid it. He, through his sacrifice, 
he became sin so that we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. So then the purpose of the sacrifice was to make man righteous. Can you see that? That was the purpose of the sacrifice. Now interestingly enough, I would think that if the purpose of the sacrifice was to make men righteous, then I should, we should not be surprised if the very essence of the sacrifice will also cause us to be established in righteousness. And we're going to come to that. Now, it is the will of God that, as, that, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, He would so teach us and unveil the sacrifice to us in such a manner that He will cause us by the revelation and the application of the sacrifice of Christ that we will become established in righteousness. That is what Isaiah 54 verse 13 and 14 is speaking about. Isaiah 54 verse 13 says, My children will be taught of the Lord. Well, the Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher. He is the teacher. Jesus says when he is come, he will teach us what? All things. So my children will be taught of the Lord and great shall be their peace, their wholeness. And in righteousness they shall be established. So let me put it this way. The Holy Spirit is the minister that is responsible to bring us into righteousness, cause us to be established in righteousness. It's as if he is the executor or the, the establisher, so to speak, in righteousness. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the sacrifice of Christ has been done, has it not? Jesus has gone to the cross. He has been buried. He has been resurrected. He is sitting at the Father's right hand. He has poured out his blood. He has given us his name. We now have Christ within us, the hope of glory. We have his life. We have partakers of his divine nature. And we've got the great and precious promises. Amen? Say it is finished. So we are at the point where it's after the sacrifice, but it's about application and revelation of the sacrifice. So, in, 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 and, and, to, and for that is the Holy Spirit, that is the essence of his ministry to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and, um, okay, let me just, just to set it up, let me read verse 6. Who also had made us able ministers of this new covenant, this new testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministration or the dispensation of death that was written and engraven in stones, if that was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was, was to be done away with and was fading away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory and it's talked about the ministration of the spirit but then in verse 9 it causes the ministration of what righteousness we are in the dispensation of the holy ghost and the holy ghost um, ministry and objective is to bring men into righteousness and cause them to be established in righteousness amen for the sinner the people that don't know the Lord, the Bible says in, in John chapter 16, um, verse 8, Jesus says, 
well, in John 16 verse 8, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world. Those, those that didn't know God. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Amen? He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But as for you and I who are born again, the Bible says he will lead us and guide us into all truth, into all reality. He will take the things that Jesus has done, the things that belong to Jesus, and reveal them unto us because they belong to us. And that really speaks about the victory and all that he's accomplished. But let's put it this way. Where the believer is concerned, the Bible says in Psalms 23 and verse 3, He will lead us in the paths of what? Righteousness for His name's sake. In Psalms 85, in Psalms 85 and in verse 13, it says, Righteousness shall go before Him and shall set us in the ways of His steps. You and I are righteous. The Bible says in Psalms 37 and verse 23, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Amen? We are led by the Spirit of God to walk in righteousness, to walk in the reality of our authority, and to walk in the reality of our oneness with God, to walk in the reality of the rights and the privileges that we have, to walk in the reality of our freedom from condemnation and shame and insecurity and inferiority, as if sin has never been, for us to walk in that reality. He said he will lead us in the path of righteousness. Now look at Isaiah chapter 48. Now here is the point. The point, is, the point is this. The Holy Spirit has a ministry to you and I. And it is to so unveil the sacrifice of Christ. And it is to bring, give us an experiential reality of it. So that we might be established in righteousness. In our authority. In the reality of who we are. In the oneness that we have with God. In the freedom and the liberty that the blood has paid for. No guilt, no shame, no insecurity. They are not even our past having a voice in our lives. Amen. Are you with me? That is his ministry. Hallelujah. Isaiah 48. Now you know Isaiah is this prophetic um, uh, uh, prophet and book of the Bible that, that, saw the, that saw the ministry of Christ and so on and so forth. Isaiah 48 and verse, verse um, 17 says, Thus says the Lord, thy Redeemer, does that sound like sacrifice? Thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee, the Holy Spirit teaches, the Holy Spirit leads. Lead thee by the way that thou shouldest go. He leads us in the path of righteousness. Oh, that you would hearken to my commandments. Listen to me. And by the way, one of the things he's going to command is be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's a command. Right? And, um, and if you would hearken to my commandment, then had thy peace been as a river, and your righteousness as the waves of the sea. The ministry of the Holy Spirit teaching, leading, guiding us. He said if we would just hearken unto him, we are going to operate in righteousness as the waves of the sea. We're going to become established in it. Are you with me? Alright. So, now, to emphasize this even further, here is Jesus. He's raised up from the dead. He's speaking to his disciples. 
the ones that he have commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And here is Jesus. He's, he's already taken his blood to the throne room of, of, of God, to the mercy seat. And he says in, in Matthew 28 verse 18, All power has been given unto me both in heaven and in earth. He says in Revelation 1 verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I've got the keys of hell and death and of the grave. It says that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. He says, I'll be self-hating like lightning falling to the ground. In John chapter 20 verse 22, when the disciples were gathered in the room and he appeared among them, the Bible says he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Ghost. So here is Jesus resurrected, the sacrifice is complete, and, it's, and, all, and he said it's finished, he's defeated hell, death, the grave, spoiled principalities and powers and everything else but yet as if that's not enough he says to his disciples wait tarry ye here in Jerusalem stay here until you receive power from on high after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you in other words my sacrifice is awesome but yet I'm telling you wait until you receive power from on high. It says that in Luke 24 verse 49. It says that in Acts chapter 1 from verse 4 to 8. And then of course on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost did come in Acts chapter 2. Why was that? Why would Jesus be saying that? Because you see as awesome as the sacrifice is. We need the Holy Ghost to reveal it and to help us to apply it so that we can have what Jesus has accomplished for us by his sacrifice. Does that make sense? Amen? So, um, and again, it, 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 so you know that you got to have this unveiling and application of the sacrifice. And this is not possible without the Holy Spirit. It's not possible without the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you need that sacrifice to be established in, in who you are, what, you, what belongs to you, and so on. And we need the Holy Spirit. So, so then, for that reason, Jesus says, turn with me to John chapter 16. Now Jesus understood that absolutely clearly. And on many occasions, Jesus keeps pointing. He says, look, there's going to be another comforter like me that is going to come. He's going to be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Right? He's not only going to be with you, but he's going to be in you. I'm going to send him. He's going to proceed from the Father. And when he has come, when he has come, when he has come. Are you with me? Jesus understood the absolute necessity of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to come and, and magnify both him and what he had done and make it real to us. He is the spirit of truth. What does that mean? He, ultimate reality. He has to make the things of God real to you and I. Are you with me? He is the spirit of? Say spirit of reality. Alright. Alright. So in John chapter 16, Jesus said in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And don't forget at this time the disciples they were somewhat sorrowful because Jesus was going to be leaving, he was going to be going away. And, and, um, and, and so sorrow had filled their heart, it says in verse 6. He says, nevertheless, I understand how sorrowful you are. I understand that. But I'll tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. 
Because if I do not go away, the comforter will not come unto you. He will not come. And he, has to, he needs to come. If I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The Amplified says, I'm telling you nothing but the truth. When I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter will not come. It is expedient. It is to our advantage. Now, and then he goes on to say, in verse 8, And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because I go to my Father. Of, of righteousness, sorry, of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. But Jesus says he's going to convict the world. In other words, when someone is not born again and they're in the world, the Holy Spirit immediate responsibility or ministry to them is to convince them of sin because of not believing on Jesus. In other words, then, it is to say, it's to convince them that the only way they can be saved and have heaven as their home and have God in their heart and in their lives is they must believe on Jesus. What takes people to hell is not all the wrong things they did, but it is because of rejecting and not receiving Jesus. Isn't that right? And he convicts them of sin and he convinced them of righteousness because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and has paid the price. And then of judgment because the prince of this world, the devil, has been defeated. So that ministry to the unbeliever is one that is birthed right out of the, the, out of the sacrifice. The convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment are all connected to the sacrifice. The issue of righteousness. The issue of the, the judgment. Um, convicting the world. Of, of, of judgment. Because the, because. The prince of this world. Is judged. What is that talking about? In John chapter 12. Verse 31. Jesus says. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world. Be cast out. If I be lifted up from the earth. I will draw all men unto me. And that lifting up was talking about that cross. And it is connected directly to the prince of this world being cast out. Are you with me? In other words, whether you're talking about the judgment, the defeat of the enemy, us being made, the righteousness that is common is available to all men because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, or whether it be the conviction of sin because of rejection of Jesus, all has to do with the sacrifice. So the ministry to the unbeliever by the Holy Spirit is making is to bring them into righteousness through the through, through, through this, the preaching of the cross through the, what we call the gospel the Bible says in um, as many as receive Jesus to them give he power to become the sons of God that's talking about being born again in John chapter 3 it, it says the fact that, that um, it, it, sorry, in, in Romans 10 verse 9 it says if you shall confess with your mouth for the person that may not know the Lord, that is still in the world. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you shall be saved. If you believe the sacrifice, Jesus died for you and he was raised from the dead, receive him into your heart, receive him into your life, and you're saved. God gives you the power to become the sons of God. Now every single one that is born of God, the Bible says in John chapter 3 verse 5 to 8 that they are born of the Spirit. 
Let me read that to you. Everyone that is born again, John chapter 3, from verse 5, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, born of the Word and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not I say unto you that you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but you can't tell you but you cannot tell whence it cometh and where it goes, so is everyone that is born of the spirit. When someone is born again and they confess Jesus as Lord and they believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead and they become supernaturally divinely born again the Bible says they're born of the Spirit of God and according to Ephesians 1 verse 13 the moment they get born again after that they believe they are sealed by the Holy Ghost Romans 8 verse 9 Romans 8 and, and verse 9 says that if, if that you're not in the flesh when they're born again but they're in the Spirit if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in them. And if any man don't have the Spirit of God, he's none of his. I say all of that to say this. Everyone that is born again is born of the Spirit of God, is sealed by the Holy Ghost. So we cannot say that someone that is born again, if they're not baptized, as we call, speak about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the speaking of tongues or, or being filled with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Ghost falling upon them, we cannot say that if someone is not baptized with the Holy Ghost, that they don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not correct. Because the Word of God says, they're born of the Spirit and they're sealed by the Holy Ghost. Amen? So let's be clear about that. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17 says, um, He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. The Bible says in, in the Epistle of John that he receives the witness which is the Spirit of God. Romans 8.16 says, this, The Spirit of God bears witness with His Spirit that He's a child of God. So everyone that is born of God does have, I don't know what they, call it, what they want to call it, a measure of the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit, or whatever the case is, but you can't say He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. However, the Bible, but in all those references, some of it I just mentioned, that have to do with the person being born again, and having the Holy Spirit, none of them speak in the context of them having their, um, speak in the context of the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me just give you just a few scriptures along that line. In Luke chapter 24, and I think this is important. It is important because as much as someone can be, is born again and they're sealed by the Spirit of God and they have the Spirit of God, yet at the same time there is an experience that is declared in the Word of God called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That every believer that is born again ought to have. And there are reasons for that. And he, because without it, he is, he is a believer. He is born again. And his spirit is perfected forever. And everything else. But it's like if you are walking around spiritually handicapped. When there is a devil that wants to destroy and wipe you out. And with your hand tied about, uh, behind your back. Whereas when you are born again. And you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And you have what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That I am going to get into in a little while. Then you are better equipped. And Jesus understood that. So he told the disciples. Hey. Even though in John 20 verse 22. He had breathed on them. And said receive the Holy Spirit. Yet he said wait here. Wait here in Jerusalem. Until you receive power from on high. Luke chapter 24 verse 49. says. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, until you be endued with power from on high. 
That phrase, power from on high, is not used in any of the other references of being born of the Spirit, being sealed by the Spirit. He that's joined to the Lord is one Spirit. That phrase is not used anywhere else. Again, in Acts chapter 1 and verse... Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power. After that, and again, it was the same thing. Tell him, don't... Um, in verse 4 he says being assembled together with them he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem he commanded them wait for the promise of the Holy of the Father I believe that command is still out there today that when you are born again you're born of the Spirit of God I think Jesus commands you and he says basically wait and be filled with the Holy Spirit and then in verse it, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me.